Though the sun outside is shining very brightly, it's a little sad in our worship today. For today is another day that we must say goodbye to some very dear, close, loving members of our congregation. Don't know exactly what's happening. For last week, we said goodbye to four families. Another family leaves us this week in the person of Elder Ted and Betty Rice. It would take me a long time to list all of their activities in this church. Ted is elder, chairman of our Christian Education Committee at the present time, former chairman of the work of the Stewardship and Finance Committee, Betty and Women's Association. Both of them are trained Bethel teachers. Both of them taught the communicants class for several years. Both are volunteers at St. Barnabas as a part of our vital ministry and mission there. And they're good friends of Bakerstown Church and the staff. God has called them the second time from this church. We said goodbye to them once before. They were one of the few minority of this congregation that have joined this church twice. And Ted and Betty will be glad to take you in a third time if you want to come back. God has called them in retirement to Beaumont, Texas, and they leave this week. And on behalf of all of us, to you two who have meant so much to us, we wish God speed and happiness in your new calling. Hear the word of God now as it is found in the great third chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. We begin to read at the first verse. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at that gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him with John and said, Look at us! And he fixed his attention upon them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but I give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up, he stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name 
by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith which is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Amen and amen. My, what a worship service it must have been. I would have liked to have been there. I think you would have too, leaping and praising and yelling and running about and people being filled with astonishment and amazement and wonderment. Must have been a great service. But the ironic thing about that worship service that day in the temple at Jerusalem was not because what was happening in there, but it was caused by what happened when two people were on their way to worship. You see, this is a principle which we who meet regularly for worship must understand. What happens in here, in here, in our worship, is determined greatly by what happens to all of us on our way to worship. Whenever we get the new deacons in who are heading up the parking lot committee, I, I try to tell them to tell those who help us out on that voluntary service and how appreciative we are for those who brave rain as well as enjoy the sunshine to take care of properly and organizing the parking of our cars. But I tell them, please, remember, worship begins as the people pull into the lot. It begins even before that. It begins when people are on their way to worship. And what happens to you and me on our way to worship will greatly affect what happens to us at worship. Let's never forget that. This past week I talked with a couple who are very much impressed with the worship of this church. And they asked a very simple question, why is it in this church they seem to get more, hear more, and understand, and believe more than maybe they do some other places? I thought about that. The Spirit of God is here, that's the main reason, but also, it's not just because of the preaching or the great music, but it's because of you people. Because of what you bring to the worship. Because of what is happening to all of us on our way to worship. Very important, and I want you to look with me at the dynamic that was involved on that day when a miracle took place, a healing was effected, and people got excited and thrilled and praised God, from whom all blessings flow. First thing that happened was that there was a meeting of a person who was sick together with two people who are on their way to worship. That's the first point. Two people on their way to worship were seen. And it made a difference later in the worship. Because two people, just two people, were seen. Now you and I ought to like that, because let's face it, we like to be seen. Some of the crazy get-ups we get on, some of the words we say, the way we laugh at jokes, we like to be seen. 
And it may sound funny to you, but that's not all bad. That's not all bad, especially if it's to glorify God. Did not Jesus himself say, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. There's absolutely nothing wrong in wanting to be seen if, if it is to the glory of God and it is to the glory of God if in seeing us or hearing our talent or in observing us people praise God and are helped. Nothing wrong with it. Peter and John looking at that man said, Look at us! Look at us! And as the great dynamic men of the gospel, believe me, much of their effectiveness was in the fact that they got people to concentrate on them. I don't know what made the lame man pick out Peter and John. I'm sure, remember, he'd been there a long time. Most Bible commentators think that that man was 40 years old. He'd been lame since his birth. We don't know when his friends were bringing him daily to the temple, but daily he was there, and daily he saw thousands of people entering and exiting the temple. But for some reason or another, he saw Peter and John. In the midst of all of that big crowd, he picked out those two. Now remember, we're having the advice of an expert here, an expert beggar. I don't know too much about begging, but I understand from those who do, there are three basic qualifications that you need to know, understand, and practice if you're going to be successful at begging. One is, you've got to have the courage to ask. If you don't have the courage to ask, you'll never be able to beg. I wasn't a beggar, but I used to work for the Fuller Brush Company. You know that company. I think I was in the ministry six years before I made as much money as I made selling brushes when I was in college. Great job. The Lord, I think, was using it to prepare me. But I remember when I used to go to those meetings to rib up the, the salesman. Old Joe Finley there in some second-story building there in East Liberty used to say to his gentlemen, 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 Remember what Mr. Fuller taught us all? You'll never get the business unless you ask for it. Nine times out of ten, they'll say no, but they're one time out of ten, they'll say yes. So if you want the business, ask for it. Beggars ask, expecting to receive. Secondly, they've got to have that spirit of expectancy. They have to believe in the goodness of people and that people are going to give. And thirdly, they have to know their locations and have to be students of human nature. Some of you professionally do beg through your businesses and you know that you get in proportion to how you ask. You get according to the spirit of expectancy and you get when you do your homework. And you get at the right time, at the right place, to meet the right people. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's good, sound economy. And good, sound advice for salespeople and beggars. 
And I suggest to you that when this beggar saw Peter and John, he saw them as worthy prospects. And the Bible says he looked upon them expecting to receive something from them. Now what made John and Peter look like good customers? Wasn't their money, silver and gold, have we none? Maybe it was their dress. Dress can be impressive. I don't know, but I would suggest to you that it was something in their personality. I would suggest to you that these people, just by the way they walked, I think they had a skip in their step. I'm sure they had a joy in their heart. They had a peace in their soul, and their voices were filled with confidence, and they had enthusiasm in their spirit. And that beggar saw that. He saw them coming at a distance, and immediately, immediately, he saw in them something that he wanted. Probably said to themselves, how come you are like you are and I are like I are? I want it. He expected to receive something from them. And it all began when two men were seen on their way to worship. I bring that up to you because I wonder how many people saw us this morning on our way here. The person down at the drugstore, up at the restaurant, the person from whom we bought our newspaper, the husband or the wife or the children who are still home and who chose not to come with us. They saw us. They saw us, but it made no difference. You know, one of the reasons why there are not more people in worship in this church today and in other churches is simply because many people who saw us on our way to worship really were not too impressed. They might have been polite. But they really didn't see something in us that they wanted to emulate in their own life. And that's too bad. Because people are only going to come in here to worship when they see something in us that they like and they want. As they see us coming to worship. It's the only way they get here. We are advertisements of the Lord. The way we dress, the way we talk, the way we walk with or without confidence, the joy that is in us, the twinkle that is or is not in our eye, all of that says somebody to, something to the sick world, the spiritual cripples who are begging. Worship begins when people are seen on their way to worship. And worship begins when people are who are on their way to worship see. That's the wonderful thing about Peter and John. In the midst of all of that big crowd, and it was three o'clock, and I think Peter and John would have made good Presbyterians, they probably were running in the door about 30 seconds to three, like some of you. And some of you don't make it at that time either. 
But they saw the lame man. They saw him and took the time to talk with him. One of the oldest illustrations a preacher learns early in his ministry is the one about the man who was out taking a walk and he was confronted by a beggar. But the man taking the walk had left his wallet at home and he had no change in his pocket. But he took time to talk to the beggar. He looked in this pocket, that pocket, the back pocket, the shirt pocket. He came up and he said, I'm sorry, brother, but I don't have anything to give to you. And the man replied, You've already given me more than you know by calling me brother. Peter and John saw the lame man. And they spoke to him. They recognized him and they took time to see him as a brother. As I think about it, I wonder how many people were looking at me on my way to worship today. And I didn't know it. And what's even worse, I didn't see them. I didn't see them. I hope they're there next week. Because you only get people in worship when on your way to worship and my way to worship, we see people who want to worship but don't know how and who know not who to worship. A miracle took place in that worship service, joy, happiness, and excitement because number three, two people on their way to worship gave. They gave. Unlike some Presbyterians, you see, they were not talk with a minister. They were not satisfied with a mir- with a ministry of talking. Yes, you see, talk is very cheap around the church. But what counts is action. And those men gave not money. They didn't have that. Besides, money's the cheapest thing that we can give away. No, they gave the more important, priceless gifts, like time. That's the most precious commodity any one of us has. And they gave encouragement. They gave enthusiasm. They gave hope. They gave the man a look in the eye and said, you can do it. Do you realize every time somebody looks at us and sees us, Something happens to them. They either get encouraged or they get discouraged. They become enthused or they want to quit. They either get filled with joy when they see us or they know what it is to be visited by a killjoy. They're either helped or they're hurt. I hope you're the kind of person that other people want to see and are not the type of person that other people do everything in their power to avoid from seeing. See? And the way you become that kind of person who helps other people 
is that you're a person who gives time, money, but your spirit, your confidence, and the name of your Christ. There's power in the name of Jesus. Peter and John told us that, and I think we need reminded from time to time in that there is power in the name of God and of our Christ. And I don't think we use it enough in our Presbyterian faith. We've got to be very careful, you see, who it is that we ask God to damn or what we ask in the name of the sake of Jesus Christ because there's power in that word of Christ and in the word of God. Dr. Charles Robshaw is a friend, a fellow pastor. He's, he, he's the pastor of East Liberty Presbyterian Church. And at dinner, luncheon not too long ago, he was telling me about a day when he left the church, went across the street to the bank, got a sizable check cashed, and he left the bank, went back to the church, and was getting into his car when suddenly he was greeted by two people whom he did not know. And one was getting in right behind him and the other one was getting in on the other side and suddenly he realized he was in the midst of a holdup, his own holdup. And as the two men were fighting to get his wallet out of his coat pocket, Charlie Robshaw said he remembered that he had preached a few weeks ago on the power of the name of Jesus. He's a very quick-minded individual and in his Irish brogue he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I demand that you stop. And he said both of them merely looked at him, said another, said a few things, and got out of the car and walked away. And they did not take his money. You laugh, sounds a little spooky. But it's strange what the name of Jesus Christ can do. I'll never forget in my other church that I served. A young girl came with a story that you just don't repeat. And in confession, she poured out the darkness in her life. And I felt sorry for her as she sat there sobbing in the counseling room. And when I thought the therapy was about finished. I asked her to stand and I took her hand and looking her in the eye I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, your sin is forgiven. I'll never forget the look in her eye and I've never forgotten the chill that was going up my spine. I've done that several times since. And believe me from personal testimony, the power of the name still holds. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise. And they gave to him the power that we all have as Christians and which makes the head bow and the knee bend and brings healing still. They were seen, they saw, they gave, and they took. 
Two men on the way to worship took. And there was joy and worship in the house of the Lord that day. They took the hand of the lame man. They just didn't talk. They dirtied their own fingers by reaching down and with the right hand pulling him up. They supported him. They took time. They took effort. They took their own support and undergirded that lame man and he stood for the first time in his life and he began to have sensation in his feet. His muscles began to have feeling and he began to walk and from walking he began leaping and from leaping he began to praise God. And please notice what happened. Those individuals who were on their way to worship took the man whom Christ had healed to worship with them. They didn't say goodbye, nice seeing you, remember to go to church sometime. They didn't say hallelujah, praise the Lord, turn and went on. They took that man with their own arm into the worship. And there they didn't parade him up in front of everybody. They didn't have to. They allowed the man's own testimony of healing to stand and speak for itself. But when the people began to recognize that this was the individual who had laid, laid a lame at the gate of the temple and saw now he was healed, they took advantage of the opportunity and Peter and John gave a testimony to the power of God. We don't take advantage enough of the providential experiences that the Spirit of God gives unto us. To proclaim the power, the healing, the miraculous power of Almighty God through Christ. Two people on their way to worship were seen, saw, gave, and took. And that was 2,000 years ago. And the dynamic is still effective today. And if we want to see the churches of worship filled with people worshiping God in a meaningful, dynamic, thrilling, praiseworthy way, it'll depend not so much what happens here in this pulpit or what happens in the choir loft or even out there, but it'll depend upon what happened to all of us on our way here. The way you get people into worship, meaningful worship, is by what we do on our way to worship. The church needs your help. Worship is the most powerful thing in the world. But it happens. By the Spirit of God who promises to be together wherever two or three are gathered in His name. And when people come to that service, knowing that their worship began the minute the last worship ended. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we have sung, speak to me that I may speak. 
We ask, Father, that you will help us to see that we are vital instruments in the proclamation of your word. Father, as we leave this place today, and whether we go back to our homes up to the camp, or whether we go back to the stop, to the store, or the shop, please, Father, help us to realize that our worship for the next time begins right now, and that this place will be a holy, happy happening whenever we meet, because we have prepared for that on our way to worship. Thank you, Father, for your word, for its power, and for its personal interpretation to us. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with all of us and in our worship forever and ever. Amen.